Welcome to the SSPX Podcast. We are concluding the 2019 Parish Mission Recordings with this evening's episode from Father Daniel Cheveria on St. Joseph, the protector of the Church and of our happiness. And as usual, if you have the ability to donate so that we can produce more of these kinds of episodes and gather various sources from across the country, you're welcome to donate at sspx.gifts. Just search for Angelus Press and put a note in there for podcast. Now we'll turn to Father Cheveria on the last night, night five, of the 2019 Parish Mission from St. Mary's, Kansas. The final conference of the Parish Mission. Before uh, we begin, I just wanted to take the opportunity to thank all of you for, for coming, for uh, receiving me here. As I said at the beginning, it's a pleasure to, to come back to uh, the, the school, especially that I attended, and to, to have a chance to, to help, to contribute, to give back in gratitude for everything that I received here. So thank you for, for coming and thank you for receiving me. It was a pleasure to, to be here this week. Please, please keep me in your prayers and I'll keep all of you in mind. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. Coming to the close of learning about what happiness means for a Catholic, we just have one more person to talk about. After talking about the fulfillment of happiness in heaven from following the life that God intends for us and removing the obstacle of sin, that's the only thing that can prevent the happiness God wants to give us, after seeing our Lord teaching us the way to happiness through sacrifice and the powerful example of his mother and her faith, our mother, there only remains the example of St. Joseph. So tonight, we're going to talk about the man who doesn't talk, St. Joseph. One of the great devotees of St. Joseph in the history of the church is St. Teresa of Avila. She had prayed to St. Joseph when she was sick after she'd entered the convent to be able to recover and continue her religious life, a sickness and a recovery that was very much tied into her conversion. Before that point, she hadn't been a very fervent religious. And that very important time in her life was the catalyst for a lifelong devotion and friendship with St. Joseph. After St. Teresa had already started to reform all of the Carmels in Spain, to begin again the, the convents of, of the strict observance of the Carmelite way of life, of prayer and penance, she had already founded several convents before she was called back to the convent that she had originally entered, where she had started her religious life. A assignment that was for her particularly difficult because that convent was extremely lax. They didn't keep the rule very faithfully. And the sisters there would have known her from her time before when she wasn't a very serious religious. So she's sort of being 
thrown into the fire, so to speak. St. Teresa, at that time in her life, also had reason to leave the convent several times because she had to go and travel to the other convents in Spain that she had founded to make sure that things were going well. She was sort of the overall, the great mother of the uh, reformed Carmels. She started to think about the situation, what she had to do. She had to go to visit these places. And she thought, these nuns in this convent, they just cause problems all the time. They're gossiping all the time, backbiting. They don't trust me. They don't respect me. Oh, and it's like that while I'm here. What's going to happen when I leave? It's going to be worse because I won't be there at all. It's just going to be the inmates running the asylum. All, all hell will break loose. She thought, I, I need some help. Who can I trust? Ah, of course, St. Joseph. <laughs> Who else are you going to ask? So she took a statue. Not too big, but not too small either. About, I think, three feet, four feet. About as tall as St. Teresa was, in fact. She's quite short. Uh, she took the statue and she went into the chapter room of the convent in Avila, which you can still see today. And in that chapter room, she placed the statue. So the chapter room is the part of the convent where the religious would meet for meetings, for talks, etc. It had seats for all of the nuns along the wall, and then a, a bigger seat in the middle and kind of at the back of the room for the superior. So she took the statue of St. Joseph and she put it in the seat of the mother superior. And being a very Spanish woman, she had a very singular way of praying to saints. So she said to the statue, to St. Joseph, look, I have to leave, and you know what these nuns are like. So while I'm gone, you're the superior of this convent. And when I come back, I want to hear about how things went during my absence. So the man who never speaks, St. Teresa, says, I know you're talking to me. So I said, uh, Spanish people have a very particular way of praying. So she did. She put the statue there and left. And when she came back to visit the convent, and this happened multiple times, the statue would talk to her and would tell her about what had happened at the convent. God listened to her prayer, and St. Joseph listened to her prayer. That statue is still standing, not in, that, not in the, that seat, but it's still in that convent, and it's been named by the Carmelites, San Jose Parleador, which means St. Joseph the Gossip. So, for any mothers or for any sisters, if your husband or if your religious superior gets on you about gossiping too much, you can always say, well, St. Joseph did it. Why can't I? No, that, that's, that's not the moral of the story. Uh, <laughs> I mean, by this point, the stipend is pretty much out the window, so I... <laughs> 
I'm not really worried. Uh, he was never going to give it to me anyway. He used to be the bursar. Uh, so the, the point of the story is to say that if you pick St. Joseph as your patron, you're making a very smart choice because God picked St. Joseph. God picked St. Joseph to watch over his son's happiness while he was on earth. And think about that for a minute. God could have chosen anybody that he wanted in the entire world. He could have had a good king in place instead of King Herod. He could have picked one of the chief priests or a very learned rabbi. He could have had anybody that he wanted to be his son's foster father. And he picked a carpenter an obscure man, somebody whom well, people knew but wouldn't have stuck out at all. Why St. Joseph? Why would he entrust, why would God entrust the woman he loves and his only son to St. Joseph when he has the pick of anyone else? There's an instance in St. Joseph's life that makes it pretty clear why. And that instance is the flight of the Holy Family into Egypt. St. Joseph was asleep, which seems to be something that he likes to do, which is why I've always had a great devotion to him. <laughs> no. Uh, he... Uh, I heard that person laugh in the back. I don't know. Uh, he was asleep, and God appeared to him in a dream and said, okay, now you have to take your son and your wife, and you have to go into Egypt because they're trying to kill him. The Holy Family going into Egypt wouldn't be like one of you moving to Rossville or to Kansas City or in fact, anywhere in the continental United States, or even Hawaii or Alaska. It would be like God telling you, okay, now I want you to take your wife and your family and move to Iran. Go to the Middle East. God was asking St. Joseph to go into a foreign country where he didn't know the language, where he didn't know the people, where he didn't have any connections, a dangerous long road. It's not like hopping in the minivan and driving down, uh, down the highway. And he said, you have to do that right now. St. Joseph got up and did it. He acted, no hesitation. He responded. St. Joseph is an extremely obedient soul. And God trusts people who are obedient. God is going to confide in souls, and he's going to entrust to them the things that he cares about the most if they're obedient. If you want an example of that obedience that's maybe closer to our own times, look at Archbishop Lefebvre. 
At the end of his life, he said, I have the consolation of never having done my own will my entire life. I never got what I wanted. God asked him sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice, and he obeyed and obeyed and obeyed. He cried when he had to leave Africa. He didn't want to be in charge of his seminary. When he founded the Society of St. Pius X, he just wanted to retire and pray at Rome and prepare himself for a good death. He was done. And perhaps the greatest, the, the greatest work of his life was accomplished when he thought that his career was over. He saw God's providence and he obeyed. And we know when we see God's providence clearly in our own life, we know. Maybe sometimes it's unclear and we make the best possible decision, but there are times when God's will is definitely clear. Our obedience is going to be the determining factor as to whether or not God our Father can trust us. The obedience of St. Joseph comes from a great love, a great love of our Lord and Our Lady. And that great love makes him, as it does to every soul who has it, a man of prayer. St. Joseph is the man of prayer. He's the contemplative soul. We know the most difficult time in his life was when he found out about his wife's pregnancy. And we've already talked about his response in that instance. St. Joseph thought about what he should do, and then he decided to do the thing, as we know, that would have been the most difficult for him and the most damaging to his reputation. Our Lady and St. Joseph, to all intents and purposes, at that time were married. He found out that she was pregnant, for which, legally, he could have her stoned by the Mosaic Law. He loved his wife. He hated association with sin of any kind. He didn't know what to do. So he decided to put her away privately, which means to divorce her, and to have everybody think that he had gotten her pregnant and then left her. To take the blame on himself, remove himself from any possible sinful situation, because he could assume nothing else from her pregnancy except that it had been from another man, and damage his own reputation and sacrifice himself for her. That response is the polar opposite of any kind of selfishness. That response can only come when someone has God at the center of their life. St. Joseph has God at the center of his life, not himself. And our life is a continual struggle, if we want to be happy, to continue to put God at the center. 
There was a 20th century Catholic philosopher who said, you don't understand the world that we live in until you understand that it's all just one big conspiracy to put man at the center of the universe. The world and the society that we live in is one big fight from the devil to put man at the center of the universe. The reason why we have problems at the deepest and most fundamental level is because of that, not because of other secondary reasons. Problems at the heart of what they are are spiritual problems, not economic problems or social problems or even psychological problems, even though you can have problems in all of those areas. The most important fight that any of us engage in in our life is that fight within ourselves to put God at the center of our own life. And the way that we impact other people in the best way, in the deepest way, depends upon that and not on other things. To take a very personal example for me, I know that the reason that I entered the seminary was because all of the men who are married men and husbands and fathers and good ones that I'd known were men who prayed. Every single man, every single husband and father that I've respected prayed. They attended mass daily when they could. My own father, there hasn't been a day in our house when I haven't seen him pray. If you asked any of us in the family what a mental image would be of dad, it would be, well, he's on his knees again. My mother says he should have been a monk. He says that too. No. <laughs> That's not true. And now it's really time to leave town. No. Uh, <laughs> He, and so because of that example, in my mind, there's the very clear mental association that men pray every day. If you don't pray every day, you're not a man. No matter what other qualities you may have. And it's not something that I even fully realized until after I entered the seminary, but that association was so strong. I didn't go because of one or other priest that influenced my life. I went because of dads, husbands and fathers, because I saw them pray and I thought, well, I, these are all the people that I respect. The most important thing in any one of their lives is God and they pray every day. So that must be the most important thing. An example of a person who puts God at the center of their life has ramifications that they won't even realize. They have an effect that they won't possibly be able to comprehend because it won't be their influence, it will be God's influence. Saint Joseph was chosen to be the protector of the happiness of God's son and the patron of the universal church and the patron of our happiness. And Saint Joseph was an obedient man because he was a man of prayer. 
a man in love with our Lord and a man in love with his wife. Like any man of prayer, St. Joseph understood very clearly what his responsibilities as a husband and a father entailed. He understood that being in that position meant that his life was a service to others. Not a dictatorship, not a monarchy, a service. When our Lord first started to preach and everybody was so shocked by his abilities and his intelligence, they said, hold on a second, isn't this the carpenter's son? How can he talk like this? Meaning, we know him. We know who he is. We know who his father is. We know what they do. We know everything. It's the carpenter's son. The carpenter's son. St. Joseph was associated in their minds with his trade of carpentry. And our Lord was associated with him in the same way. Which means St. Joseph must have had a good reputation because you're known for doing your work if you do it well. And our Lord must have helped him until he was about 30 years old. St. Joseph must have taught him. They must have worked on projects together. And they must have worked on those things, providing a service to other people. They'd be able to make quite the endorsement. Your chair is made by God. (laughs) Forget about the Onyx lifetime guarantee thing. (laughs) You got something even better. They must have done their work well. And they must have had a good reputation. And St. Joseph must have taught that to our Lord, knowing that he was the Messiah, knowing that our Lord knew more things than he did. That didn't stop him from doing, fulfilling his role, from providing that service. Because he didn't care about himself, he cared about serving God in others. Our lives in any position, in any kind of authority, is a service. And although we all tell those who are under that authority, children, students, uh, employees, we insist upon the importance of authority, and we should, because putting man at the center of the universe That attack of the devil will always imply an attack on divinely instituted authority. But we can't remember the other, we can't forget, excuse me, we can't forget the other half of the equation. On the part of those in authority, your function is a service to serve those under you. It's the very ancient concept, which is foreign to us, of nobility which was abused in the history of the world, of course. But what it was meant to be was the service from the best to protect everyone else. The role of authority is a service that comes from 
as any service does, love. Love of our Lord and love of Our Lady and union with them in prayer that leads to that service. And we can tell when someone tries to be that, tries to be a soul really in love with Christ and his mother, and really someone who puts prayer and God at the center of their life and serves others, by the telltale sign that they don't take themselves seriously. They take God seriously, and they take their lives extremely seriously, but not themselves. I was fortunate enough to witness a very beautiful example of that quality. The year before last, wait, so 19, 18, 17, no, three years ago, 2016 and through 2017, when I had the, the great grace to spend some time at the Society of St. Pius X's Contemplative House, which is a house totally devoted to prayer and penance and the support of priests in their ministry. It's constituted by priests of the society. It's located next to two Marian apparition sites, Lowe and La Salette, nestled in the, 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 the tail end of the Alps, just a couple hours north of Marseille. In fact, it would be absolutely the perfect place in the world if it wasn't in France. It's the only problem. No, I say that uh, not, not with any, anything against any of any French people. I very much enjoyed the, the, French, the, the Frenchies that I had the pleasure of knowing there and uh, of living with. But I know that they don't mind joking about being French either because when I got there, uh, one of the, the members of the house, an older French priest, we were taking a walk, and he, he told me, he's, he liked to practice his English, so he liked to talk to me. He told me, uh, when God made the world, after he was done, one of the angels came to him and said, Lord, I think you've made a mistake, because you have this big, huge world, and you've put so many beautiful things in just one small area in France the Alps, you have the coast, you have the beautiful rolling hills in southern France, all these beautiful things in just one small country. We should spread it out more. And Almighty God replied, no, no, it's all right. I'm going to balance it out because I'm going to put French people there to live. <laughs> As I said, a Frenchman told me that joke, so I have no problems repeating it. No, it, it's a beautiful place. It's next to, to La Salette, about 40 miles away, about eight miles away from Lowe, which is a very well-known um, 
apparition site of Our Lady in France itself. And the, before I went there, I'd heard a lot about the superior, who was, was formerly the district superior of France. He had been ordained 1976, I believe, uh, in, in the 70s, at least, I'm sure of that. Uh, so a senior priest in the society. Very short little guy, St. Therese, St. Teresa height. Well, St. Therese height too, but St. Teresa height. Um, always smiling, big, loud voice. I'd, I'd heard a lot about him. He has a reputation. Before I went there, a priest whose opinion I respect a lot had told me, it's, it's wonderful to meet him because he really is a man of prayer. And he's a wonderful preacher and all of these things. So I was excited. I thought, oh, wow. I get to see somebody like this. I might get to see him levitate in the chapel maybe or... I wasn't really expecting that. Well, maybe a little bit. Uh, <laughs> so when, when I got there, I hadn't seen much of Father because he was going to Paris every weekend. And during the week, we had responsibilities that kept us in different places. Going to Paris to preach the Lenten mission at our parish in Paris, or one of them, there's two now, St. Nicolas de Chardonnay, in France, the Lenten parish mission isn't for consecutive days like we have it here. It's done on each Sunday of Lent. So just on the Sunday, everyone comes back in the late afternoon, I think early evening, and there's a conference and benediction and everything. So he was, he was there preaching that. And so I, didn't, I hadn't seen much of him as he was traveling a lot. So finally, he was back at the house for Holy Thursday. On Holy Thursday... There's, unless there's a bishop there to offer the chrismal mass, in which case there's two masses. But faulting that, there's only one mass offered by a priest. All the other priests attend that mass, but they don't say private masses, and they receive communion at that mass. So, of course, Father, who was the superior of the house, he offered the mass, and all of the other priests there, including myself, were in the back listening. So he got up, and he started to preach, and he started to, to make announcements. <laughs> I didn't know what to think. So I didn't understand much French at the time. I still don't. But, so I had some idea of what he was saying, but it, it was like watching a movie. <laughs> he had the expressions and the gestures and the laugh, and it was so it was entertaining. This is the first time I've ever seen a doubt at a sermon be entertaining. And so I was just watching him. And then he said, and this has happened at the house and this and this. Oh, and Monsieur so-and-so just donated these vestments to the house, the ones that he was wearing for the mass. And he said, see? And he stepped out from behind the pulpit up on the altar and started to pretty much just model the vestments. So he went like this, and he's like, oh, and look at the applique on the back, and he turned around, completely around, and pointed to it, and <laughs> I thought, who is this person? <laughs> and everything that I heard about him was true. He prays constantly. He's the soul of charity. He's really a man of God. 
does not take himself seriously at all. And always happy. And really happy, not faking it. And for as seriously as that priest takes life, and our Lord and God, he doesn't take himself seriously. Because he knows that himself is just someone who's meant to die so that Christ can live in his soul. Happiness is death. The death of ourself and our self-will and our self-love and its replacement by something better. The life of God given to us by our Lord Jesus Christ and given to us under the protection of the faith of his mother and the example of his foster father. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen.